Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Flashpoint Podcast. I'm your host, Cherry Gregg. We are walking you through the flames. This week, just days after a beloved City Hall staffer, Linda Rios Newby was killed by her husband, who also killed himself. We take a look at how and when intimate relationships turn deadly. If someone walked up to you and the first thing in a relationship started beating you, you wouldn't be there. We deep dive into the minds of those most likely to abuse and the culture that encourages it. It's not okay to groom other people, to make them walk on eggshells. They have a lot of difficulty feeling powerless and out of control. We also discuss ways to stop the abuse before it's too late. He was slated to perform at a Stop the Violence concert, but was gunned down in a drive-by. You gotta make this something that's not normal. An effort to get youth to stop the violence using the music they love as a magnet. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody. We are so excited. Flashpoint hits a major milestone. Happy anniversary. The baby turns one on August 27th. Thank you guys for all your support. And to you, Brianna, our producer. Yay. Brianna Bonds is behind the scenes, but she does so much for Flashpoint. Thank you for all your help. No problem, Cherry. I'm happy to be on board. I'm happy that we're celebrating this anniversary. And we hope to have some anniversary specials coming out soon. Yay. That's exciting. Yay. And please follow us on Twitter. Follow us at Flashpoint Show. Yeah. And you can tweet to us. Um, and we are very excited. Thank you to the all the Flashpoint family. Thank you, everyone. Like the candles on the cake. Gonna celebrate. Flashpoint is sponsored by the Gift of Life donor program. Organ donors save lives. Register today at donors1.org. Flashpoint Podcast, where we talk about the issues that get everyone hot and bothered. I'm your host, Cherry Gregg. The focus is domestic violence turned deadly. This month, murder-suicides have dominated headlines and two hit close to home. On August 17th, police found City Hall staffer Linda Rios Newby on the floor in the bathroom of her Northeast Philadelphia home. The mother of twin daughters had been shot three times by her husband, who then turned the gun on himself. And frankly, come to terms with what we call someone to orphan their children and kill the mother of his children. Who could forget the incident on August 7th? Police say Jeff Masuko shot his seven-year-old daughter, Caden, before taking his own life. He had been in a years-long custody battle with his ex-girlfriend. According to national statistics, half of all American women who are murdered die at the hands of an intimate partner, And in Philadelphia, the average of 20-plus homicides a year are related to domestic violence. So how do you stop intimate partner violence before it becomes deadly? With me in the studio to discuss this flashpoint is Janine Lisitsky. She is the executive director and president at Women Against Abuse. We also have Tony Lapp. He's co-director at Menergy, an organization working to stop harmful behavior and intimate partner violence. And finally, we have 
Bill Muth. He's a board member at the Men's Resource Center who has participated in some of the intervention programming there. Welcome to Flashpoint, everybody. Thank Thank you. you. So, Janine, I want to start with you. When most people think of domestic violence, uh, they think of it only when it's physical. I want you to, first of all, define what abuse is and then give me a laundry list of some of the forms that it may take. Sure. You know, it's better to look at abuse as a pattern of coercive behavior um, because that's how it starts. Think of it. You know, who, if someone walked up to you and the first thing in a relationship started beating you, you wouldn't be there. Mm -hmm. So it is a pattern of coercive control. It could be belittling someone, isolating them from their family, economic abuse, so trying to interfere with their job or putting them down, things like that. It starts very, you know, minor, so to speak, and then continues from there. That's usually what happens, yeah. Who kind of engages in this behavior? I mean, people think, oh, I would never do anything like that, but that's not necessarily true. Tony? Yeah, well, in our program, we would deal with people that have a long history of really serious physical violence, but then also people that have used all kinds of other behaviors, um, some of which involve no physical force at all ever. About a quarter of the people that come to our program have never used any kind of physical violence. But they've been really diff- difficult to be around in other ways. They've been too loud. They've been too forceful. They've been too jealous or suspicious or too deceitful. Um, but all in ways that kind of knock their partner out of their equilibrium and make it really hard to relate to them. It's very common for partners to talk about feeling like they're walking on eggshells or not really knowing quite what to expect and being having to be careful all the time. Does this come from any place in specific or do you just sort of develop this pattern? We would see probably the biggest group of people we would see would be people who have some fairly significant trauma in their background Mm. um, and now are overreactive because of that. Uh, Probably the second biggest group of people would be the really opposite. Uh, Far from having suffered as young people, they would have never suffered, maybe gotten everything they ever wanted and no one ever said no to them to the extent that they came to have that as an expectation that they carried into adulthood. And then when that came smack up against the reality that re- adult relationships aren't like that, they weren't prepared to handle it and, and handled themselves really badly. Yeah. And Bill, you've, uh, you're on the board of mm-hmm. the Men's Resource Center and you've gone through programming. Tell us a little bit about your story. Well, part of going through the programming is to develop some sort of accountability so that other guys are in the program and all, they don't think it's a one and done type of thing, that they need to be in counseling or have some sort of accountability, and it's going to be a lifelong process for them. It's not something that they fix and they move on. Uh, it, it's definitely a brain thing, and they have to live with that. They just don't realize, men don't realize that once they survive a one relationship and, or it didn't work out and they move on, they're just going to repeat that same thing unless they have some sort of change. They seem to think that it's okay that they're the ones that set up the terms and conditions for their relationships, and unfortunately, it's the women that tend to suffer from that. So it's important to be part of the program, to be one of those guys that are sitting in the seats the same way they were sitting in those same seats and realize that you just don't graduate from this. Yeah, it seems like it's a uh, lifelong issue that you have to kind of coach yourself um, through. So, Janine, this isn't only a man thing. Like, men aren't the only abusers, but it seems that women are more likely to be injured in these types of relationships. Why is that? About 85% of the most recent research that we have is perpetrated against women. So I do think, uh, but it could be same-sex partners, um, you know, so it's a, 
because it is like a pattern of power and control, it's not all about uh, masculinity. Mm -hmm. And I know the term toxic masculinity has been thrown around and thrown around. And, um, you know, we look at it more as a power and control issues that could stem from some of the things that Tony talked about. And so when, because women are, and I think Tony brushed upon this and we'll come to you in just a sec, but women are sort of uh, conditioned to be a certain way and men are conditioned to be a certain way. And then that leads to, and, and just the sheer size difference a lot of times can lead to women being the ones more likely to be injured in an abusive relationship. I, we know that for women that, you know, they tend to become more depressed when things aren't going well versus men who might act out more aggressively in a violent way. So that could be part of it. And social norms are part of it as well, although we see such a range of different types of women. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, and men who are survivors stepping forward, I wouldn't want to stereotype and say only one type of person can experience it because it's all of us. And I think, you know, the recent murder of the city council yes. uh, director mm-hmm. of human resources shows that, look, even a director of human resources whose job it is to help people who are in, having problems and difficulties was, you know, able to be exposed to domestic violence and lost her life to it. Yeah. And one of the things that was interesting about that story is people liked both her and her husband. They said that they were both really really um, good people. And so you think about that, Tony. And so, you know, do people even know that they're being abusive in some cases? You may not even realize it because it's so normalized in your life. And and do do you, you know, if you realize it, do you want to even stop? Do you, is this a, if it's a power thing? One of the things that we've been really interested in is this, uh, you know, as in the early 2000s, as anger management became this really big and mm-hmm. popular concept, a way of thinking about it, which can be really useful as a way of, of, of thinking about what's going on in somebody, but, but also with some potential for limitations. You know, there, there are a decent number of people who act harmfully not in a state of rage, um, that their, their uh, punishing behavior or their even cruelty sometimes can come with more calmness or out of other emotions other than anger. Um, and I think that there's varying levels to which people recognize that. We're, we're always interested when somebody comes to kind of get a sense of what they already know in terms of like if, if they have some awareness of the damage that they've caused to somebody else in their relationship. But then there also is an additional piece of like, okay, so have you considered these things? And we pretty regularly find that it's usually a mix. Like people oftentimes have some – People will say after a certain amount of work, you know, listen, I always knew this was wrong. I knew when I did it that it was the wrong thing. I felt justified doing it, but I knew it was wrong. But there are also other things that people say, I never thought about it that way. I never considered what this might be like, but that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And so do they want to stop? Do you say to yourself, well, yeah, I know I did this, you know, emotionally thing and and, then my wife cried or the person cried and maybe I should stop. Maybe I shouldn't have done that. Yeah. Good news and bad news. There are some people – I wouldn't be doing this. It's, all, it's going to be 20 years this year that I've yeah. been in energy. Uh, I wouldn't be doing this this long if it wasn't that we saw a lot of people who really do change and work really hard and some of them in really quite uh, admirable ways. Um, that, and that's always really wonderful to experience. But the reality is it's not everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, so some people will choose not to. That, 
Um, and there are people who will come who will be very honest after a certain amount of work um, and really uh, – uh, but there are other people who won't. And if somebody's not willing to be honest, you're oftentimes not able to get at them, right? Yeah. Um, but then there's also folks that will be honest, but they're not being honest confessionally. They're being honest bragging or justifying and will say, yeah, I don't feel bad about it because they deserved it. Yeah. Uh, and the reality is that programs like ours, we, we don't work miracles. We have tools that we're developing. We're still fairly young work, but there's some things we've been learning. Uh, we have some things that we can do, some strategies and ways of helping somebody to think through something uh, that for somebody who would want to be better yeah. really can be effective. But if somebody doesn't want to be better, uh, you can't just send them somewhere and expect that the program will like tap them with a magic wand and change, change them. Yeah. Change is something that you have to desire. And so, Bill, what's the biggest challenge with change? What makes someone say, you know what, I'm going to take this program seriously and I'm going to I'm going to shift my mindset? Well, I guess the biggest obstacle is their belief system. They just don't want to change. They have certain beliefs. They They have friends that agree the same way. You're always going to find somebody that's going to let you be at that point where, yeah, you were the victim. These things really did happen to you. And you, you start believing some of those things. You know, Tony was mentioning how some people would use anger and intimidation or what have you to, to get what, what they want. Ultimately, they're always in control. They always um, – they'll use anger if that's the case to, to do what they need to get done. So what will – help them change is actually change their belief system. They, they need to completely change the way they think, which is a difficult thing to do. And it doesn't happen overnight and it takes time. It, it takes years of counseling to be able to get to that point. You need to step out of denial. A lot of guys don't even know they're, they're doing these things uh, because, you know, they'll have their buddies uh, agree with them and say, yeah, you know, yeah, she, she was behaving badly. You, you did the right thing by standing up for your own rights or what have you. But it's just got to be unacceptable. You got to find accountability partners that are going to be able to tell you that. And you're going to need to trust those people. Janine, if we talk about, we go back to this issue of toxic masculinity. I mean, this is a term that's thrown around because we live in a society that was founded on male supremacy. You know, the men are the head of the household. They're the ones running everything. And women are the, the in the background and, and things like that. So when you think about their... It, are there signs that this still exists and that this can in some ways be uh, the basis of, of some of this abuse? That talk, that you mean yeah. the, that these social norms? Oh, yeah. absolutely. I mean, it, when you think about it, like in our country, who's still in control? Is it white males? There's a lot of control there, you know, throughout the country. So I do think that the, that, that kind of patriarchism is still there and, and we haven't overcome it by far. As we see the shift, though, for more gender equality, is there like this bump? Do you see an increase in the conflict? Because there's a lot of women more assertive now, and it it's a backlash to it. Um, because I don't know if 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 the other half is shifting in the same way. We, I mean, we see a steady stream of people who are experiencing this level of violence, and at times there's been spikes in that. In Philadelphia, I can speak to uh, most um, knowledgeably. And that was like back when we had the recession, there mm. was a doubling of domestic violence homicide. Uh, women Against Abuse started noticing that we were turning away a lot more people who needed safe shelter. So, you know, those were some stats that were alarming. And there is research to show that if someone who's acting abusively doesn't have a job, but the 
victim does have a job, that there can be an exacerbated level of abuse. And again, it's a power dynamic. So, you know, with they ha- there's less power than when you don't have the economics. And that was at least what the research showed. Um, that was national research. And can we talk about this issue of the power thing? Because mm-hmm. explain that, because I don't think people really understand this, it's a it's an issue of power and control. Is that exerting your will? Like, explain what that means. I, I think it depends on whether you're talking about the effect or the motivation, right? Mm. Um, I think that power and control is a really useful frame for thinking about what it's what it's like to experience what uh, somebody that's acting in this way. That the effect is that it the the experience is that someone is exerting power and control over me. If you want to get into sort of people's heads that are acting this way and think about why it might be that they're acting, I I, I will say that in my experience, I have related to a good number of people who are who are about the overt intentional business of being uh, living in power and control over the people in their lives. They are that is what they want. There are some people like that. It's pretty unlikely that programs like ours are going to be able to affect those folks very much. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, let's be humble and recognize that we can't get at everybody, at least in the state of what, how we understand folks to this day. But I will also say that there's an awful lot of people that come to our program who would really struggle to think about what their intentional motivation is being power and to exert power and control. But they will not hesitate very much to acknowledge that they have a lot of difficulty feeling powerless and out of control. Mm-hmm. And if we think about how we train boys and girls, you know, let's focus a little bit on boys because we're talking about toxic masculinity. Um, if, if the messages that we give to boys is that uh, being a man is – that the strength component of being a man is about dominance and is about not looking weak, then the thing that we're doing is we're not giving – um, these young boys, the experience, the very needed life experience of having to wrestle with what it feels like to actually feel weak because the reality is we're all human beings. So to go through life without feeling weakness is unrealistic. All of us experience that at some point. And if we could see that as yeah. – if I could think about my strength, that there are other forms of being strong other than having to dominate someone else – um, then that could be really liberating for me. And uh, and, we're, and when Bill was talking about changing people's mentality, I think it was a lot about that, right? It's about sort of changing the way I think about what it means to be strong, what it means to be a man. If I can rearrange that, it's easier to learn that as a kid, but if I didn't get that opportunity, it's still possible to learn as an adult if somebody wants it. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 um and so Bill, why did you go through the program? Um, why did you go through the program? I understood completely what power and control was all about. I grew up with a father that was was a monster, and it was all about power and control. And and you you pick that up from the the kitchen table. I have brothers that struggle with it. I have sisters that had to suffer because of it. So when you think about that and the power and control, and they're great words to use and all, but really what we're talking about is we're talking about privilege and entitlement. Uh, my father did what he had to do just to maintain what he wanted to do. He didn't have to do without and all. And I kind of, you kind of see that with men nowadays. They, they use the word power and control, and ultimately that's what they're doing to maintain really what they want, what they feel they're entitled to, what they feel as if they're privileged that should, they should be allowed to have. 
you have to be able to get them to understand that those words might be great words, but really the meaning of that word is just selfishness. And you have to get guys away from thinking that it's okay to be selfish. It's okay to demand what you want. It's okay to, you know, it's not, I shouldn't say it's okay. I should say it's not okay to groom other people to make them kind of walk on eggshells around you to, so you get what you want. So you get what you think is what should be happening that day. So the power and control, yes, that's, that's how you title it. But ultimately, it's certainly yeah. the selfishness of the, of the heart. Yeah, and I wonder as a follow-up to you, Bill, I mean, does it that the acting out come from a fearful place? When you lose power and control, you get scared. And so, boom, the the abusive, the, all the list of things that Janine mentioned come out as, in a response to that. It definitely is a response to that. It certainly is reactive behavior. But the reactive behavior is because your goal is to always have that dominance. And it's that fear of losing that dominance that you will do anything to maintain that. And you, somehow you convince yourself that it's the right thing to do because you're keeping it all together. But it's the furthest thing from the truth. You know, we shift the conversation. I mean, it starts out where, you know, it's a very loving relationship. And then, you know, slowly but surely the screws get twisted in and eventually it becomes where it's full out abuse. Why do people just stay? Why not say, you know what? He don't like me. I don't like him. Let's break this thing up. Well, because it happens over time. And by the time it gets to the point where people are thinking, hey, I should get out of here. I think that they're really beaten down like psychologically mm-hmm. and it becomes harder. They're isolated because they've been taken away from, you know, family and friends. So they're kind of more alone. They may be involved where they have a family then, you know, they have kids or they have cultural beliefs, religious beliefs. There's so many reasons, economic issues. In Philadelphia, we know, you know, economics is a big barrier to people being able to leave and stay away because maybe their only choice is either stay with this abuse or live on the street, you know. I mean, that that's what we're facing in Philadelphia because we are the poorest major city in the nation. So it's very complicated. Yeah, and it's and I know that women especially are more vulnerable that period through separation, that the breaking period where you're trying to actually split up, it could be a a dangerous time. Yes, and again, because the person uh, who's been abusive is losing control over that person. You know, they're separating from them, and so it's a dangerous point. And I've heard cases where the victim felt that Mm. the perpetrator was going to help them, you know, help them to move, help them to, and suddenly they show up and they're murdered. So, you know, we always tell people, don't, get lulled into a sense of everything will be all right. And, you know, really do safety planning. If you're leaving a relationship that's been controlling and abusive, then call the Philadelphia Domestic Violence Hotline, work with someone to do safety planning around getting out. And that number is 1-866-723-3014. Yeah, and I know that uh, Linda Rios Newby was during that dangerous period when this uh, she she lost her life, um, and and then her husband, you know, took took it out on himself as well. Tony, I mean, we talked about the fear, we talked about the loss of control. How do you break the cycle, or is it just say, you know, there's no way to break it with this person? I just have to start over. There's a big mix in terms of who comes to us. Some people come not in a relationship. Some people come as the relationship is ending. Mm. Some people come 
in the process of trying to repair their relationship. So I don't know that there's one trajectory or one or one final result. It, a lot of it depends on sort of uh, what a person can do and, and at the end of the day, whether they can reconstruct trust and safety between the two of them, which sometimes can be a hard, long process that's difficult to, to stay with how long it can take. I mean, I think the people that come to us, uh, a lot of the partners are really living in hope. Um, not all of them, but mm-hmm. but for many of them, you know, the stakes are so high. There, there's children involved. I think of their family as my family. I think of their friends as my friends. We are we have our finances all completely wrapped up in each other. Um, I care about them because the times of abuse are not the sum and total of the whole story mm-hmm. of the relationship. There are other things that have felt rewarding, and so I still do also care. This is somebody I fell in love with. So, you know, people really – one of the things we try to be mindful of is that we're trying not to – play into people's hopes, right? So we're trying to actually, like we talk to partners as somebody comes. We're also in communication with partner. And part of what we're trying to say is not everybody that comes here is going to change. So these are the things we'd want you to be watching for. Mm -hmm. But we Mm -hmm. also want you to be using this, if you can, we'd like to encourage you to use this as a way of sort of gathering information so you can figure out what what you need to do or what you want to do in your relationship. And Sometimes that means people find their way back to each other, but sometimes it means that they don't. They may end up having to co-parent together or something, so there may be an ongoing relationship. But if they can do it more safely and healthy, in a healthy way, regardless of whether they're together, and that often is at least some accomplishment. What was the breakthrough for you, Bill, to say, you know what, I'm going to go to this this center and I'm going to take it seriously and I'm going to do – I'm going to change? But this doesn't start there. It starts years and years and years before that when you realize something's wrong, something's broken. But there really isn't any solutions or answers out there for men. You know, there's a lot of resources mm-hmm. for women that have trouble, um, but there's not necessarily those same resources for men. Uh, so you try a little bit of this, you try a little bit of that, you, you, you fly to other states, you do whatever you can when it comes to counseling, or if somebody has a good idea, you go visit them. It's, it's a lifelong thing. So it really comes down to your willingness to change. Uh, you, that's the only way you're going to change. You, you, you're going to want to have the, the ability to change, and then you're going to want to have to change and persevere through the whole process. It's, it's, it's not something that's just going to happen overnight. And that's kind of the challenge we have with, with the men too. A lot of them don't want to change. They just don't want to get in trouble anymore. So what they do is they develop new skills of how to be a little bit more crafty about how they're not going to get caught. But it's not actually – working for change. And that's always been a struggle mm. working with men is that where is the sincerity? Where is where is their heart when it comes to changing? Uh, when you refer to you know couples trying to get back together again and he's being nice for a little bit, so he's going to help them you know, show up at our house, going to help her move and all. That's, it's, it's just another form of stalking. They don't see it as stalking, but it's, it's another way of just getting your foot inside the door. What you really need to do is you need to, as men, you need to kind of separate from that you need to work on yourself and come back complete. And uh, so, kind of like it's hard to even stay in it and, and work on yourself because otherwise, you're gonna your tendency is to try to exert that that level of control. Absolutely, absolutely. You, you've developed that skill a long, long time ago. It's hard to give up. Yeah, and so you know, give us some clues. Like, if, if how do you know if you you know, a lot of times people think that it's pretty clear um, that you know this this is an abusive situation. How do you sort of like talk yourself and say, look, this is this isn't good for me. And, and then how do you get to a space where you can 
you know, make a change for your life if you're in an abusive situation? And then if you're the person that's abusing, how do you say you turn that switch in your mind? Well, I mean, if you're a person experiencing the abuse, as soon as you feel as if you have to be careful of what you're saying, you've lost control over making decisions, you may be fearful, you've been isolated from family and friends. Not all of this will happen in every case because, again, what's really important is this is complex and, you know, there's some themes, but things are different depending on the situation. The person, yeah. I think people need to know that this kind of behavior can escalate and end very badly. So it's dangerous, yeah. you know, and so I think more people need to be aware of that and especially if they're trying to separate to do safety planning. And there's hotlines everywhere around the country ready to help people, you know. So even if you're not sure, you can call and just talk about what you're experiencing mm-hmm. and somebody will be there to listen and help educate the person on what some of the signs are, you know, how they're feeling, what their options are and those types of things. Yeah, and when you think about it, if you're a person who's been controlling and doing all these things, uh, Tony, how do you flip the switch? I mean, with the, because most of the time I we talk to folks and they always say that, you know, whenever I talk about the issue of abuse, no one ever goes and checks themselves in and says, you know, I need help. It's usually after the police have been called. It's after someone ended up hospitalized. It's after, you know, you've been arrested or the person left you when you decide to break down and get some help. How do you flip that switch in your mind before the crazy happens? And, and, and or can you? A lot of people get to us before there's court. I mean, we do see lots of people for court as well, but we get people from lots of different places like therapists and faith communities. and Who support, yeah. Yeah, or because their partner asked them to or whatever it is. But the, the, it is probably worth mentioning that it's very rare for somebody to just wake up in the morning, look in the mirror, think to themselves, oh, I've been doing bad things. Today I should go and get some help. Right. That's not something that most people who come to our program do. Most most who come come because something's happened uh, and because on some level they feel like they have to uh, or if they don't, they'll lose something that they want. Uh, and I have a lot of compassion for that as a first stage in a, in a change process, mm-hmm. mostly because I think if I'm honest with myself and I think about the moments when I've done significant change in my life, Oftentimes, it started that way for me as well, yeah. right? That I think for a lot of us as human beings, it's really hard to change patterns. And we tend to resist it. And we tend to make those steps oftentimes only at the point at which we, it's, we stand to lose something if we don't do it. Yeah. And um, that's on, that's on yeah, every right, diff- that's all different right. subjects. Right. Yeah. yeah. The good news, though, is that, that even that sort of twisted up place in my head where I'm like resentful and I don't really want to be yeah. doing this thing – that can be a place to start. Um, that can be a place to start. And if and if I can start there, but it gets me starting talking and thinking, and then in the process of starting to talk and think, some things get clarified for me about what how what the state of my life really is. Yeah. And what I really want in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, that then things can really start heading in a better direction for some people. And that can be beautiful to watch. Right. Yeah. But but the reality is, you know, like you know, like I'm a biker. The roots of my biking are I had some health issues, right? Now I'm smug about it. <laughs> yeah. But the reality is it didn't start with a moral decision, right? It started with me being afraid, afraid that my body was starting to betray me and having to get on this yeah. thing because I was scared of what, what would happen if I didn't. 
So whatever it, it takes, it, it and so yeah, mm-hmm. and 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 that's okay. Whatever causes you to want to change is a good thing. Yeah. And you know, Bill, you know, you tell your story to folks. You talk to other men and convince them that going through the program is a good thing. How? What is your pitch to guys when you? When you try to say, you know what, I went through it, I had issues, I grew up in this way, and, and, and look at me now. And it's, I'm still working, not perfect, but look at me now. That has a lot to do with it. You know, a lot of guys will see somebody like me and they're like, okay, well, you're very self-aware and, uh, okay, you're different than I am. And I'm not different. I just did, I just did the work. They can easily do the work. It, for me, it was waking up that one morning uh, after the kids were through college and married off and in their houses and debt-free at that point, you say to yourself, you know, what is my purpose now? And my purpose at that point was to get it all right. It's just if I'm harming anybody, it can't, it can't happen. I can't be in control of all these things. Unfortunately, a lot of people aren't at that point where they can look at themselves and have some self-reflection and say, you know, what is this all about? What is my purpose? What, 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 what should I be doing with this? And if I can have a couple stories or a couple instances to help these guys out, I'm going to tell them. I'm going to share with them. Yeah. And because this is Flashpoint, we're going to wrap our conversation up now. But, you know, what is a litmus test on what we can do on ourselves to ter- to determine whether or not we are an abuser or are being abused in some way? And what is the mindset that we need to change? Because this is all about changing before it becomes a situation like what Linda and her family experienced leaving her twin daughters without parents. I think, you know, one thing is, are, are you afraid? Do you have any fear of the person? You know, and what, what do you need to change? The knowledge that it can be very dangerous, that it's harmful to your children. A lot of people make the change because of what their kids are witnessing, you know, and not wanting them to grow up that way. So, and also nobody deserves to be abused and there's a way out and there's people who can help you through it. Yeah. Wonderful. And Tony's one of those people. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm less interested in labeling the person and more interested in kind of trying to figure out what this, what's happening. Um, I think if I take it that, that way and I think about abuse as the many different ways that, that abuses of power sort of um, permeate all levels of our communities and lives. If I think about it that way, then I... Uh, rather than me thinking about there's me over here and then there's those bad people over there, then there's a lot of ways in which, you know, I have these are things that I need to be paying attention to ongoingly mm-hmm. in my own relationship. Recognize sometimes to my great sadness that there are still things that I'm finding myself wrestling with and struggling with and thinking about how to um, uh, be reflective and how to create systems of accountability so that when I see things, I can take action, but also if I'm not seeing things, have ways for people to be able to help me to see something that I might not be able yeah, to Yeah, those see. triggers, those triggers when you see it coming. And last word uh, to you, uh, Bill, you know, as you work through this and you help other men work through this. It's one of those things is to be able to recognize that who you are and allowing yourself to be who you are. And at the same time, allowing other people to be who they are, too. It's not about controlling other people. It's not about controlling your life and the things that are around you. I mean, you're made perfectly the way you are. Just have to find out where that is. Wonderful. So I want to say thank you uh, for this interesting discussion that I hope helps people. Uh, I want to say thank you to Janine Lasitsky. Thank you to Tony Lapp. And thank you to Bill Muth for coming on Flashpoint and talking about this important issue in the news. Thank Thank you. you.
If you feel you are in danger because of an intimate relationship or you need help leaving, contact the Philadelphia Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-866-723-3014. You can also log on to womenagainstabuse.org for more information. Now, if you have issues with anger, power, or control and are a man, you can contact Menergy. You can go to menergy.org. That's spelled M-E-N-E-R-G-Y dot O-R-G. You can also contact the Men's Center for Growth and Change. Their website is themensresourcecenter.org. Next up, he was set to go on stage for a Stop the Violence tour, but was gunned down days before. You're killing your own. The effort to make change on stage and throughout the region using hip-hop as a magnet. We'll be right back. This is the Flashpoint Podcast, where we talk about the issues that get everyone hot and bothered. I'm your host, Cherry Gregg, and one thing that gets Philly residents hot under the collar is senseless violence. And this year alone, we've had more than 800 people injured and more than 140 killed by gun violence. And this weekend, Quality Promotions was set to hold a Stop the Violence concert at the TLA on South Street featuring artists including Avril Davenport, a.k.a. General Reezy. But on the evening of August 8th, the 31-year-old rapper as well as 34-year-old Nisha Cooper were killed in a drive-by in North Philadelphia. The gunman, he had an AK-47. Four others were injured during that incident. And now, that Stop the Violence tour is a memorial tour. With me in the studio is promoter Chris Jones and artist Ronnie Allwright, who will be performing in the tour this weekend. Guys, a Stop the Violence tour impacted yes. by violence. Rest in peace, uh, General Reezy, as well as the, the other young sister who lost her life. Yes. As well, you know, prayers go out to their families. That whole incident was very ironic. I just seen General Reezy a few days before that. Mm-hmm. And to see the energy, the the excitement that he had towards his endeavors with what he was getting ready to do in the music business. Not just Reezy, his whole neighborhood was excited for him. The energy, you know, that he whole... Yeah, some good... Some I was watching some of the YouTube videos of him yeah. performing and, yeah. you know, his, some of his music, listening to some of his music. He yeah. had some good songs. Great songs. Um, he was trying to bring back, you know, a certain form of, of, of hip-hop that a lot of us love. It was, you know, a, a more simplex form, you know, a more lyrical style. Added with some of the, the new age flavor. So he was a real impactful artist, you know what I mean? And a lot of people looked up to him. He brought Styles P down to the block, mm-hmm. you know, and a lot of, you know, that's one of the hardest rappers out there. A lot of people respect that guy, but, you know, guys was checking for him from different states coming down. He brought a brother down here from New Orleans, you know, that, that came down to see him on the street. So, like, Reezy was definitely working in the game. Yeah, and Meek Mill actually yeah. uh, posted about him and said he had potential. Yes, yes. Um, and so he was just 32 years old, um, you know, coming up, father of two kids, oh. and got killed and gunned down right as he was promoting a Stop the Violence tour. And so tell me about this tour because someone who's trying to stop violence is taken by violence. I initially 
went in to uh, promote this tour was I saw how the community was, you know, prior to this, obviously, and just start. You know, I was trying to just reach out to the kids, yeah. you know, um, because uh, last summer going into this summer, it, it's been a lot of senseless stuff going on, mm-hmm. you know. And um, what I was trying to do is, like, you see my shirt, it's, it says edutainment yeah. is key, you know. And, and I, say, I, I say that to say I figured I could get everybody you know, and into one area as far as these youth, because they love these, these, you know, they love hip hop. These artists, yeah. Yeah, you know, and then we could still educate them when they get there. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I say that because, you know, we added the Brother Wallow, you know, to host it and, and, and to talk to the kids in between the acts. We got uh, Brother uh, Dr. Umar coming down to, to mm. talk to the kids. We got uh, Terry Starks. To, to, to. It's, it's not just hip hop, you know. Um, we're gonna we're gonna have guys, you know, come in. Uh, we have uh, shout outs to uh, Chief of Staff uh, Malcolm Yates. Yeah, you know, he's going to come through and uh, tell a story. We know, you know, he has a a, a pretty personal story of him of him losing a, a brother at a young age. Mm-hmm. You know, now that it's become more or less a it's a tribute now as well to to General Reezy. A lot of people reached out across the city, across just the tri-state area to say, hey, what can we do? Can we get a spot on that show? You know, we want to come in and say something about the violence. I'm talking about about 200 artists and, and managers over the last three days. Wow. You know? I know that, Ronnie, you're going to be performing during this. When you heard about General Reezy, I mean, what went through your mind? Just regular things now in the Philly streets now. That's what we're trying to make this not normal. And now it's like I'm immune to it now. We just got to get past this. We got to make this we got to make this something that's not normal no more. You know what I'm saying? We got to get out of this. We got to stop the violence. It did. It seemed like people, it, it is normalized and somewhat when you hear another person got shot, they're like, dag. Right. But when you see someone who is, you know, working their way up, right. things are actually starting to happen. This wasn't a person who was, you know, he, his life was going to be good. This is, you know, a lot of people say, oh, you know, I'm not going to make it to 25. You know, they're living right. in despair. He had hopes, dreams, potentials. It was working out. I'm going to say something that I don't think he would mind me saying. I factually know that he just sent 12 tracks to Universal the day before he got killed. That I mean, literally, he was in the studio till 5.30 a.m. sending tracks over to Universal. So he had something lined up instantly. Mm. You know what I mean? And, and I, you know, you spoke on Meek. Meek shutting him out on his post. You know, you got guys like that. You know, trying to trying to help you get in the game. You know, Meek would call him like, "Yo, man, where, where the video at? You know what I mean? What's up? We, they need your videos over here. They visuals. You know what I'm saying? So you know, he had stuff lined up to do. Just like all these artists on this, this yeah. show. You know, uh, this brother right here, Ronnie. All right, he had a, a story that he could tell if he wanted to. But he's he he's thankful to God to be here. You know what I mean? Uh, uh, from something that happened to him. Uh, a few summers ago, you know, so like all these artists that are on this, this bill, they all have a story to tell. Wilder, we all know his story. He was, yeah. you know, so deep. Yeah. 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 You know, mm-hmm. these are people that, you know, can can actually tell you where they've been and, and, and show you where you can go. It's just a tragic loss that we lost Reezy because he was going to be one of the next ones, you know, out of Philadelphia to do something. Major. Yeah. Ronnie, now you're here. Tell me a little bit about your story because artists pour a lot of what happens to them into the lyrics, into sure. their uh, yeah. performance, and to your story could help another person. Sure. I, I got shot probably a couple, like two summers ago, summer of 2015. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's when that was around the time when I really started rapping. Like, I really started taking it serious. And then, like, soon as, as soon as I started taking it serious, I got shot. And then right next to me, probably, like, Two inches next to me, my homie, I lost his life. So I seen basically one of my best friends take their last breath. 
And that was just life-changing, you know what I'm saying? That made me want better. And then I already know what he wanted. So I, went, I, I, I pickpocketed off of what he wanted and added it all to my story. And now you're living through me. Yeah, and now you on a tour with someone else. And it's like, yeah. it, it, it's just like the momentum, you know, yeah. it just c- continues to build. So yeah, how can we sure. turn this tragedy into something that could possibly save Many more people. Is that the intention here? Yes, definitely. Uh, shout out to Mont Brown and, and Rico Havoc as well. People are, t- are tired of what's going on. Like, we got all kind of people that's going to be there that night. And it's almost like this, there's a momentum building, you know, and, right. I, and I call it the Great Awakening. I feel like a lot of people are waking up and, like, we've just kind of been in this space where because it was so normal, we ignored it. One of the reasons why I started this whole thing was I see that the kids have nothing to do. Mm. Okay, so what I decided to do was build a platform for they love rap, you know, they love they love wallow, you know what I mean? And reason, okay, they love rap, they love wallow. Why do they love wallow? Is only speaking the truth, he's only speaking uplifting things, you know, and and that tells you that the kids want to be uplifted, they don't want to be beat up on all the time and Mm -hmm. hearing dirt all the time, they want somebody to uplift them. Mm -hmm. They love these artists that's on this bill, okay, so we'll combine them. You know, and we'll give them something, like I said, the edutainment part. The music nowadays is no KRS-One's left out here. It's, 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 no, it's none of them guys that, that are actually speaking, you know. Uh, truth uh, to power. Truth. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's been shoveled out by the label. So, you know, you got to kind of dig through what you hear. But, you know, this is what these kids are seeing, you know. You know, to add on to, to we're, not, we're not getting the money in our communities, you yeah. know, um, for these kids to have these parks and, and, and playgrounds and rec centers and, and, and to learn the trades on how to, to cut yeah. hair and how to be a, how to be an electrician or a carpenter so they can feed their families. So, you know, in turn, they turn to what their environments are. We got to we got to wake up, go vote. So give me all the details um, where people can get tickets for this event. And then where y'all trying to take it after this? You can get your tickets at the TLA um, box office, the Fillmore box office. Um, you can also get them at the door tonight of the show. Uh, DM at two one five. Excuse me, at Quality Promotions two one five. You can get tickets there. This is the first, hopefully, of yes. the performances because you guys are trying to take it outside of Philly. Absolutely, we're we're going. We're coming to your colleges. That's what we're going because, and the reason why we're going to go into the colleges next is because these guys are going to be the people that are shaping America and shaping the world at that level, you know, and we're going to go right to you guys and bring you some good entertainment and education is going to be edutainment. We got to stop what's going on because we're losing each other at a rapid race. We we killing each other. We, we killing people who look exactly like us. Think about that. Like you're killing your own. At the end of the day, it's stupid. And, yeah. you know, whatever we can do. You know, to try to help ease whatever the tension is. We got to stop this, man. Yeah, it's a it's a very sad. And four other people were wounded uh, during that yeah. drive by. And it was a they had an AK-47 right, uh, major right. gun. That is a gun that kills people. That is not meant to just injure. That is meant to yeah. to slay you. So I just want to say thank you um, to Chris Jones. Thank you to Ronnie. All right. The Stop the Violence Tour kicks off at TLA. That's located at 334 South Street. You can Go on the LiveNation.com website to get your tickets. You can also call 215-964-5366. Next up, she saw a problem in Philly schools and decided to fix it. How can you deny students something so basic as water? One of the Liberty Museum's recent Young Heroes efforts. If that change, we'll be right back. Radio.com. 
Flashpoint.com. This is Flashpoint, and I'm Cherry Gregg. We here at KYW are all about community, and this week it's all about young heroes. Earlier this month, the Liberty Museum recognized 14 young people who are changing the world by helping their fellow men and women. They're doing everything from helping those in need in Puerto Rico to working to end discrimination and bullying. Well, one recent high school grad, Morgan Bacon, she's a massive grad. She saw a problem with nutrition in urban communities and decided to find a solution. Morgan, welcome to Flashpoint. Thank you for having me. So, Morgan, first of all, what problem did you see? And tell me what your solution is. Well, I saw that a lot of individuals in Philadelphia, specifically the underrepresented and the underserved communities, they didn't have access to a lot of healthy foods. And they really, once they had access, they didn't know how to prepare those foods. Um, And so I worked very closely with the Food Trust and with city council members to ensure that all individuals, no matter their socioeconomic background or their ethnic background, had access to quality health foods and just quality health measures. Um, And I also examined things a little bit more closely into our school system. And so I worked specifically with water. I recognized that water was something that people took Mm. advantage of on a daily basis and that specifically in Philadelphia schools, the water fountains were in terrible condition. A lot of them, there were like huge red, do not drink from the sink signs. So how are people supposed to get water if they don't have access to a water bottle? Or that in some schools, students weren't allowed to have water bottles because they were seen as disruptive in class. And how can you deny students something so basic as water? And so I just brought the issue to city council members and to the school district and said, hey, this is what's going on in our schools. You can't expect students to focus if they're not properly hydrated. You can't expect them to perform well if they're not properly hydrated. And I just let them know what was going on, and we worked together to create a solution. And what's that solution? So the solution is that hydration stations, which are specially mm. filtered water fountains, were installed in all 214 schools across the district. And city council mandated that there be one fountain for every 100 students. So now every individual has access to clean and filtered water. Wow. And so uh, how does that make you feel to know that you, as a young person, were able to make that kind of a change? It's a little bit unbelievable, quite honestly, because you always hear people say that young people don't have a voice or that they really can't do anything. And so just as a young person being able to make a change and say, hey, I do have a voice, what I have to say matters is very encouraging. And it makes you want to keep working and working and finding other issues that need solving. That's amazing. And so did you walk through the schools and get to see, you know, your solution in action? Of course. On a daily basis, I see students using the uh, hydration stations. More students are bringing in refillable water bottles, which also solves the whole recycling issue and the contamination issue. And also just going around to other schools and seeing how they're promoting healthy water or just healthy foods and using the hydration stations sort of as a foundation for that, saying, here, we have a solution for you so that you don't have to drink a soda or you don't have to drink a juice. That is amazing. And so you're headed off to the University of Pennsylvania. Yes. I'll be studying nursing this fall. Wow. And you've already kind of been working <laughs> on that. This is, it seems like a very appropriate field for you. Yeah. I didn't always think that I wanted to do nursing, but the more I got involved in high school in, in nutritional activities, I realized that this is something that I want to do and that I could have such a huge impact on someone's life just as a nurse. Yeah. And so what did it feel like? I mean, you know, I missed the Liberty (laughs) Museum celebration of all the young heroes. But what was it like being in that room with so many other young people who saw problems in their communities and decided to fix it? 
It was such an empowering experience. There were people who were in middle school, people who were high school graduates, and people still going through the high school process. And just knowing that everyone was doing something so big and something that mattered so much in their individual communities, but also on a grand scheme just in the world, it was so empowering and it makes you want to keep doing more and just to like network with other people because a lot of our issues do overlap. Yeah. And I thought that it seems like your solution was a simple one. And so why do you think this wasn't something that people had come up with? I think it was just an overlooked issue. People take advantage of water every day. All you have to do is turn on your tap and it comes out. But for a lot of people, they don't have access to it. And so if that issue isn't directly in your face, chances are you're not going to really know about it. And I just wanted to bring it to their attention. Yeah. And I always say that, you know, every level or every stage of life, they need young heroes or heroes, period, because your vantage point is different. Exactly. So a lot of folks would not have even noticed that because they're not in the classrooms. They're not in the schools. Yeah, I learned that uh, working with the city council members, I had to testify at one of their sessions. And a lot of them came up to me at the end and said, I had no idea that that this was even happening. And so it's because they don't do the tours of the school. They don't really work as closely with the students as they probably should. Yeah. And, you know, do you think this was a lesson to you and to everyone else around you? Because it seems like you just decided to speak up and it worked. Yeah, I definitely think it's a lesson that your voice does matter and that your vote does count because, you know, you elect these people into office and you have to make them listen to you. And if you want something, go after it. Yeah. And you've said that wellness is not a privilege. I absolutely love that phrase. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, that's a (laughs) T-shirt. So is there anything else you'd like to add? Can people get in touch with you, support anything that you have gone on? Well, I did recently just make an Instagram. My Instagram is underscore Macon Bacon. Macon Bacon. <laughs> absolutely love it. Well, to you, Morgan Bacon, as you go on to University of Pennsylvania and the Higher Heights, congratulations Thank on you. becoming a Liberty Museum young hero. Thank That's you amazing. So much. Thank That's it for the Flashpoint Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this exclusive content. Follow us on Twitter at Flashpoint Show. You can also follow me at Cherry Gregg. You can subscribe to the show by using the Radio.com app, the Apple Podcast app, or whatever platform you use to get your pods. Search Flashpoint KYW. If there's an issue that makes you hot under the collar, let us know and we'll walk you through the flames. As British writer and musician Aisha Mirza once said, it's not about the bruises on the body. It's the wounds on the heart and the scars on the mind. If you need help, call the domestic violence hotline at 866-723-3014. I'm your host, Cherry Gregg. Until next week, thanks for listening.